Hey there, everyone. This is screenwriter Andy Baker, and you're listening to The Baker's Dozen, where I analyze TV shows in 13 bite-sized chunks. This week, I'm taking a look at the first two episodes of Monarch, The Legacy of Monsters from Apple Plus, Aftermath, and Departure. I'm going to keep this episode short because so far Monarch hasn't captured my imagination. And if you're not that great of a show, you don't get much of my attention. So we're just going to dive in and I'm going to dig into reasons why this is not working for me so far. And yeah, we'll go from there. One. The title. It's too many words. It doesn't sell Godzilla enough and the word legacy doesn't add any intrigue. We don't think of monsters as having a legacy, and even if they have one, that's not why we're watching. Of course, the legacy could be about Monarch, but the name Monarch isn't even very cool. It evokes images of, I don't know, imperialism. Uh, I know all of this makes me sound like a jerk, but hey, titles mean a lot, and this one doesn't work for me for lots of different reasons. Two. Family connections. Multiple timelines is one thing, but having a character that we barely know have two different families giving us half-siblings from a philandering father that we meet only briefly, it's complex human drama that I don't think we really want or need to understand. You can see why it ends up this way. This is the result of having the show revolving around Muto slash Kaiju. You can't show them on screen. It's too expensive. You have to limit how much you do that. So you have to manufacture some human drama, which is fine. But to me, it should be more about the mystery of Monarch, what they've been doing, what they've learned about the hollow earth theory. And sure, they're dancing around that, but right now they're just making it so character heavy. And it's just this really messy family drama. And we even have Kate, that character, treating her mother poorly on the phone. Like none of it really is all that compelling. And that's not why I was choosing to tune in to what I was hoping was a very pulpy, adventure-oriented mystery of Monarch, the organization, and the Hollow Earth theory. And we're just not getting that. We're spending time with characters that I find excessively boring. Three. Empty flaws. Kate Randa was traumatized by a Godzilla attack. And I understand the temptation to have that in there. It's real. It's something that would have happened to people who survived, but it's still not terribly interesting. It gets her to freak out in the car. It created excuses to give us little bits and pieces of Godzilla, since we're not going to see him anywhere else in the two episodes that we've seen, and certainly is going to end up being limited throughout the whole series. You want to build up to him, but you also want to have him in there because he's your headliner. So you want to save him, but you need to tease him and her having this past allows you to sneak some stuff in there. But it's not working for me that this is the avenue through which they're getting to Godzilla. I understand how it happened. I just think the choices weren't very good. Four. Killing school children. I just want you to think about the sound designer who had to shape the screaming of children as they plummet in a bus down into San Francisco Bay. It's unnecessary. 
And we end up getting a parallel later on when Dr. Mura is dragged down by those creatures. I'll get into them a little bit later. When that happened to her, I'm reminded of small children on the bus because it's shot similarly. It's just unnecessary and I don't understand the choice. Five. A bright spot. Mari Yamamoto as Dr. Keiko Miura. It's always interesting to me to see a compelling actor or actress for the first time. Never seen her before. I find her fascinating. She radiates intelligence and warmth. Top tier. I'm not really buying the other actors in their roles. I mean, I'm kind of enjoying the younger Russell Wyatt. I've never really been a Kurt Russell fanboy, but he looks like he's having fun, unlike all of the young actors who all seem so tortured. But back to Dr. Mura, she's just so arresting. They have to know that, right? Like the moment that she is on screen, it's like, okay, so she's got to be surviving, right? The rule is if you don't see a body, they're still alive. So she's got to come back changed somehow. That might be interesting. If they're going to go pulpy, that's something I want to say. Six. The internet and the names of things. So when you gather information to do a podcast episode, you sometimes learn things that maybe you didn't want to. And so I guess those baby mutos are called endoswarmers. Kind of a cool name. It's fitting. And there were some interesting visuals in that sequence, but I'm not going to forgive the endoswarmers for dragging Dr. Murrow down into the darkness unless she survives. Then, then maybe, maybe I'll forgive them. Seven. Muto-sized holes in logic. If Monarch wants to keep its secrets, why let Shaw live? And if he's a subject of study, they want to keep an eye on him because he looks way too young given the passage of time. There's no reason to let the kids get close to him. And then for him to have the ability to cut off his tracker, toss it in the water, and just leave... None of this makes any sense. Meh. Eight. Having Kentaro knock everything to the floor in his father's office. We want to see Muto's smashing buildings and bridges and cars, not a 20-something smacking around stacks of files. And you can just feel the marketing department here, right? We want teens to watch this show, so we gotta have some tortured romance. I know, let's make the girlfriend an audio tech expert. Everything about the characterization of these three 20-somethings, yuck. Nine. Little dumb thing. Setting off charges on old, tall buildings that you're standing next to, dumb. The distrustful cop, thinking Kate's drunk, Tch. The whole car wreck, where no one gets seriously hurt and Kate managing to get out before Tim and Elisa. And then she can run? Convenient. Ten. Bright spot number two. Some good mystery. How was Randa the only one to survive on that ship? We saw what happened to everyone else, but we don't know how Randa got away or where he went after that. Could be some interesting info there. These are the small reasons why I'm going to keep watching, even though it doesn't have its hooks in me yet. Eleven. Bright spot number three. Good mystery. Part two. How did this ship get so far away? It's 5,000 miles away, they told us. Although in all of Randa's research and all the stories about the flying dragon, no one mentioned a ship in the middle of a valley. It seems like every inch of this island would have been explored by the people who live there and that the local people would know about this ship. If you've been going around and getting stories from everybody 
it just defies logic that this wouldn't have pinged on somebody's radar far sooner than it has. Still, the question is an interesting one, hopefully connected to the hollow earth. So there's a good mystery afoot, but it also is hiding some major logic issues. 12. Why didn't anyone notice this Muto? So yes, the flashbacks take place in a time before Google Maps, but there's been enough tracking of this creature that they have not one map, but two that they can layer on top of one another. It seems like word would have gotten out about the massive flying reptile. Yeah, okay, it's a part of the world at that time period that maybe there wasn't as much exploration, but a huge ship in the middle of a valley and a huge flying dragon around. Okay, struggling with it, and it's just asking us to accept it. And I guess maybe that's part of a pulpy story, but it pulls me out of the experience when I'm asking questions like this. 13. The Ion Dragon, which is another one of those things I didn't know that's what its name was until I started poking around to see if I could figure out what to call it. But that aside, every Muto in this show, I keep wanting to call them Kaijus, but they're calling them Mutos, so I'll go with what they're saying. But all of them are going to be compared to Godzilla and Kong you know that they're going to have a progression. Like they gave us the spider and the crab ones in the opening so they can give us a little tease. But from this point on, it's going to be this progression of hopefully ever cooler Mutos. And this is the first one, so it has to be the least cool. Mission accomplished. It looks like an early prototype from Game of Thrones or a video game digital asset. Just not terribly interesting. And I mean, it was cool when they were in the ship and you see the claws and whatnot, but then when you see it in all of its glory, you're like, oh my gosh, am I going to be fighting this thing in Baldur's Gate? Anyway, here's hoping that they get cooler from here. That's it for this week. I'm going to stick with this show as long as I can, but needless to say, I'm not incredibly optimistic, but I'll give it a shot, people. All right. Until next week. Peace. Peace.